Hey hey wizards and welcome back to yet another amazing episode of Wizards of Ecom. I am your magical host Lini and get ready for a super duper special treat today. We've taken bits of actionable advice from our previous episodes and put it all together in one epic show. Today we're diving into the enchanting world of starting your very own private label brand in 2023. So get ready to learn, have fun and rock the e-commerce world. That being said, let the show begin. How do you see or how would you define entrepreneurship? It's crafting an idea that is going to fulfill a specific need in the market and following through with the discipline necessary to bring that idea to fruition. And beyond just bringing it through to the market, it's doing what's necessary to accelerate it in the market. If it was just about bringing an idea to market, how many people do we know that have great ideas that never do anything about them or sit on them? We have an idea about something, either we don't pull the trigger fast enough or we don't take the time to develop it and someone else actually just gets off their ass and does it right it's bringing something to market in a way that's sustainable to me discipline is the glue behind the scenes when it comes to business that largely depends on your goals to me being disciplined around your health is really important there's lots of levels of that but it's very difficult to do anything worthwhile when you're battling against your own body and your own mind and all these things so mental and physical health are the cornerstone to everything. You can't overcome anything if those two are off. Or if you do, it'll be short-lived or you go hard on business and you put your health on the back burner and then you put yourself in a dire situation. And some people can power through business without being in good health, but eventually that one's going to catch up to you. I think in today's business climate, you've got to figure out where the priorities are in your business, what actually moves the needle, because the things that don't really move the needle are amazingly good at grabbing your attention. It's it's super easy to get distracted by a variety of things. And so having discipline around what I'd call your big rocks in business are the absolute priority. Continuing to sharpen the saw as opposed to just sawing the wood, continuously getting better and building yourself up from an educational standpoint is super important, especially in e-commerce. Things change so fast. When you're clear about the path, really dialing into it, not getting distracted by the shiny objects. At the end of the day, although lots of things are changing in the e-commerce world, Amazon changes so fast now, the core fundamentals are still what make most brands the most money. What do you see that most sellers, especially newbie sellers, make when they are coming to the platforms? And what do you see that's the most common mistakes that they would make? I think a common mistake newer brands make is they just underestimate what it's going to take. I've seen people have a budget and blow it on product development, have no money left over for marketing or creative assets, or get to the marketing side of their business and they, they want to get cheap. They spend all this time and money manufacturing this phenomenal product, and then they go to Fiverr for photography. It's just not smart. Not that you can't get good quality work done on five or 10. It's just not likely. You might go through 10 different designers to get a good graphic designer. A big thing is people get cheap on the back end. And honestly, that's really where you want to start doubling down on your investment because that's the stuff that moves the needles. There's great products everywhere that aren't marketed very well and no one knows what they are. Do you think it has to do with a mindset that not understanding what really takes to dominate this category or general? Generally, things take more time and money than most people want to believe. 
brief. Also, just the market changes. It's very rare because product development takes a fairly long time. So you start looking at something today and you decide, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to make this right. You're doing all your work, finding a factory and all this kind of stuff. And you finally nail down your design, your direction. This is where you're going to go. By the time you get that to the market, the market's changed a bit from when you started studying it. I remember my first product when I first started looking at it and it took me a while before I actually pulled the trigger on actually selling. But when I first looked at it, it was total blue ocean. The private label guys had not moved into this space yet. And it was mostly dominated by large internationally recognized brands, which should excite you as a private label person. They're slow and lazy and don't generally do a great job on Amazon. But I remember by the time I got the market, it was flooded with private label sellers that just executed faster than I did on the manufacturing side. And it was a very different space. So I just think you got to stay the course long enough to get some traction. So I think there's a lot of factors, but underestimating what it's going to take is a big one. What did you wish to know before starting with your own private label brand? Like many other owners, I did not realize that what you also have to think about, especially when you start with private label, it's not just buying and then selling, but there's a lot more to it. Whether how long you want this journey to last, whether it's going to be a short-term stopgap and you are just buying and selling as it is, or you want to establish yourself as a brand, which involves a lot more details, yeah. whether how you want to design your product, how you want to design your packaging, how you want to communicate with your customer, the messaging and setting up a brand, registering yourself as a brand owner and launching your product. So many of these things I learned as I went along, but my aim was not to do it short term, which is why I'm happy to take its own pace, take it little time and then do it the right way, which means from the beginning, I was very clear on establishing an LLC, not doing things just on a personal level, setting a proper tax structure by accounts and same thing with the product once i identified the product i wanted to do it in the right manner identify what brand name i want to give how i want to design the packaging and everything so a lot of this took so much time and i wish i knew about some of these things that you know would require when you start your journey especially when you start with private label and something similar goes i think with the retail arbitrage as well it's easy to read and watch that all you do is buy and sell ship it to amazon but you know even silly things Things like how to ship in a most cost-effective manner. Only when I started finding out, I'm realizing there are like regional A boxes, regional B boxes, then fully bag different. Yeah. All of these things makes a big difference in where your profit really goes. Things that you thought they were going to be harder, yet they turn out to be easier than you thought. One of the things I felt touching off your brand may be much more complicated, which I took a little more time to read around, see people said, why is this video? And two of the places I saw people were recommending to go with Amazon provided accelerated services or others. And especially when you start new, you have to be more conscious about where you spend your money because ultimately the focus is to make money and not lose money. Then I think that process went on very smooth because I found some confirmations from some of the videos that you know, you can actually apply for the trademarks on your own to USPTO. You would get approval very quickly and Amazon was very quick to approve. So that was one area that went much smoother than I expected. And I was a little more concerned about because obviously even when you apply through USPTO, it's not cheap. Whether it's $250 or $500, everything adds up. What learning lesson did you learn from a recent failure that you're willing to share also with your audience? One thing I would say is, and again, depending on what stream within Amazon space people are trying to get in, whether it's 
private label, retail arbitrage or wholesale, they have their own demand from the time perspective. Please don't fall for people telling you in a video that all you have to do is work for two hours in front of your computer and that's it and you are living a luxury <laughs> life. Please don't buy into that unless you're looking to see it as a serious business and a serious source of income. Your livelihood depends on it. It's not a two hours job. It's morning eight to 10 o'clock in the night job where you have to spend a lot of time not only setting up directions on where you want to lead and a lot of work around it. Increase the number of products you want to sell, how to increase the sale of the existing product that you want to sell. Whether you do retail arbitrage, is that a sustainable system? Are you still dependent every day to go source on outside stores? And God forbid, if you have to be away from two weeks, does it mean that will stop your source of income? Then you have to plan a lot of your things around that. And that's what I would highly recommend apart from, of course, everything else that is given where people need to know how the whole cost structure works. It's not just the price of the product you buy and the amount you see it selling. There are a lot more fees from Amazon to store your product, to shipping your handling your product, to their commissions of listing your product, and then you shipping the product to Amazon warehouse plus many other things. So it's important for anybody who is starting to consider all of these different costs and truly see what kind of return you are getting as long as you have set a goal and even if those returns are minimal at the beginning to start with i think it's still worth considering and so far i have seen and learned i think anybody who's starting retail arbitrage will be the best place to start because that way you control your risk you know how much money you are putting in and you can always risk losing that money because it will always be minimal and it gives you a lot more insight initially at least how to establish yourself within Amazon space, how to set up your seller account, how the funds are flowing, what kind of money you are getting, what kind of fees are being deducted. And when you are only selling or sending five products, 10 products to Amazon, what kind of all the costs revolving around that one product that would give you a fair idea of what to expect, at least when you get into any other stream within Amazon, whether it's a private label or a wholesale. What are the things that one should know before they are starting sourcing? First of all, by no means this is a beginner question. And even we have been doing this for almost 13 years now, and we are still asking the same question, where should we start every time when we look at a product? So we are proud of being a product guy and a sourcing guy. So that's what we do. We take a look at product in a very detailed, intensive way to analyze all the key factors of determining the sourcing process. And it boils down to a process that we want to ask three questions. What are the priority here? Is it the quality or the price? or is it the lead time as a priority in this sourcing process? Because obviously any seller, any brand owner, any private label brand owner, even any business owner want to have three of these. And most of the time, you can only ask for one of these three, quality, price, and lead time. And if you are doing really a killer job, then you may be able to ask for two. But I haven't seen any case you are able to ask for all three of them. And for those who insist to have three of them, you may fall into the very common pitfall, asking too much and get nothing at the end. So that's the starting point is to determine if this is time, quality, or is the price will take a priority. So that's my two cents about training my team in China as well as in US, how to identify what is the real need from the buyer, from the seller, from the brand owner. Are they really one of them or are they unintentionally actually for 
over prioritize price over quality. We need to take a deep look into their listing to see who is their target segment, who they are selling to, who they are competing with. Is it a commodity product, or it's a me too product, or it's a seasonal product, or it's addressed to a higher end premium customers? Those are all variables in this equation in order to determine where to start in the sourcing. What if you're doing really well and the manufacturer are just noticing that and like, oh, we should sell this product also on Amazon? Touching a very important point here is the intellectual property protection. We can do a whole day conversation about this. Uh, we have seen tons of cases how sellers got damaged or got hurt because of the intellectual property situation. And factories are very savvy these days. They know how to sell on Amazon. They have a lot of third party helping them launching their product on Amazon. Only two things stopping from doing that. One is the benefit they can get from you is. Larger than the benefit they launch by their own. That's the upside. The downside stopping them from doing so is your language in the whole process, starting from sourcing inquiry all the way to PO purchase order, stopping them from doing that. Otherwise, they'll be facing legal consequences. So those are the two ways to handle situations. You can see this is not a aftermath corrective method. It should be a preventive method put in place from beginning when you start sending the inquiry to a factory. Always put a disclaimer there. Always put a language in any inquiry. Sent to a factory if this is something you want to protect. And mentioning all the proprietary information disclosed, shared with the factory, belongs to you. And in the way that later on, if unfortunately an unlikely event, you have to take them on court, you can prove to the any third party that this information was shared by you, and you maintain the ownership of that information from get go, from the inquiry, not only on the purchase order, and more importantly, obviously, is the purchase order that you have to put it with black and white. All the proprietary information belongs to you, and they will be responsible for. Any any damage and attorney fee if they try to steal your information. And last but not least, do the due diligence in the background before you hire the factory. One thing I always have my team to check is before we send a PO or even walk into a more serious relationship with the factory, check the background. What kind of intellectual property this factory owns? You don't want to work with the factory-owned 2030 intellectual property pattern in US or in China. You don't want to work with them for the reason that this is becoming their daily operation. When they see something, proprietary they will just go grab it and own it. If you see this factory is owning some of the product being sold on Amazon, however, the seller is not the factory, now this is a red flag. You should be very cautious when you're dealing with the factory because you want to see the pattern of the behavior of the factory before you make a commitment to that factory. That's another way to filter out some factory that you may not want to work with. You are talking about profit margin. I'm curious to know here, since you're thinking of product line versus a product, is that profit margin for all the product? Is it for the one hero product? Or how do you think about this in order to make sense? I think there have to be minimums, no matter what product. Right now I have, I don't know, maybe on a brand with 20 products, there are maybe five that I'm just giving it a little time to prove with a little improvement. If it doesn't get better, I'm just going to get rid of those and just launch more products because things have changed. And maybe those products made sense at some point and a year ago or two years ago, they were doing fine. But right now with the added competition and the increased cost, then they don't make sense anymore. So you have to be quick and decide when something doesn't work anymore and keep launching. In my world, I think the life cycle of a product is about two years. You launch something of a successful product. You launch it, it goes great, you have a great year. Second year, you're going to start noticing there's somebody popping up there. And then two years into it, you're going to have at least a handful of competitors. So to be clear, I obviously I'm not selling products that are patented or very sophisticated or where I have the right to fight it. It's just simple products that are my own designs, but they're easy to copy. And if I wanted to protect them, it will cost me so much money and it's just a lot of aggravations. I'll give it a two year cycle. And every year I want to add more products just to obviously keep it light. Some products last 
a little longer. And some others you have to decommission and just ultimately, if the numbers are not there, get rid of them. There's a lot of talk and information out there about building a brand. And I think a lot of people get confused about what does it mean to build a brand, right? I don't see it as a black or white. There's levels to it. And you can say you're building a brand where you just created a brand new product, maybe creating an industry, a market. You're the next GoPro, iPhone. Those are major words and absolutely possible. I know many people that have created very strong brands and um, that's one journey. Then I think the confusion might be when we talk about creating an Amazon brand or a brand to sell on Amazon for the most part or e-commerce. I think those brands, even though, yes, you created a name, everything started from you and trademarks and all the cool stuff is not necessarily a brand that will be recognized worldwide or even nationwide. It is something that has the purpose of selling online. And for me, that's more of a cash flow brand versus a brand name. And I think maybe some people get caught into building a brand that is so strong and ultimately their product is not, maybe not, I don't know if not good enough, but it's not worthy of a, such a big brand. And so they take all the efforts to build a name for a product that's weak for it. And that product might be just great and perfect for online, for e-commerce, and you can actually probably profit a lot from it, but you don't have to spend so much time or effort into building a name versus you selling the product. My style has been cash flow. That's how I base my model. It either makes money or not. That's my baseline for the brands I've created. And when I say brand, they're composed of different niches, different industries, a coherent line of products, but the name doesn't really mean anything, in my opinion, to the outside world. And once you're clear on that you are creating a brand that's just to sell more products and generate some cash flow, I think that makes a difference versus getting trapped into the building of a big brand name that is a lot more challenging and it's not profitable right away. Probably you actually going to be on the negative for a few years before that becomes a big name. In my world, the way I create, let's say even create from scratch. Right now I'm starting a new brand and there's a few four points that I want to have there. Now, I want to source, I've been sourcing most of my products from China for many years. So I want to change that a little bit. So I'm creating a new brand that I'll be sourcing from Mexico, for example, this time around and I'm building it to possibly sell it. Until now, all of my businesses have been just in order to generate cash flow and then I take that money and invest it in real estate. So that has been my model for years. I want to play with building a brand possibly for a sale or just to see how it goes. It's a little bit of an experiment. I'm also using AI to create names and descriptions. I'm really having fun and playing with it. But the core of it is I don't really like the models of find the right keyword or find the product. If you find a product that generates that much revenue, then probably there's a lot of competition. It's a tricky route. You might find one here or there, but for the most part, you're going to find things that are already saturated. So in my world is more, and I like to say that I think entrepreneurship should be a combination of science and art because you got to prove some models, right? You got to run numbers. You got to have some validate your ideas, but you got to trust your gut too. If you're looking at products when, at the times where we used to go to trade shows, and like in China, there's so many products and where do you even start? But you, there's sometimes you're going to see something that probably makes sense or you've been thinking about it. You have to trust your gut a little bit and then validate it. So I use all the tools to validate my ideas versus finding an idea using a tool. So with that, once you have an idea of the product, then the next thing is just knowing that you can actually add more to it. So I also don't believe in one product success and done. You have to have a vision of if you launch that product, what else can you add to that line? And that's also what the core of my style or my business is. I create products that are coherent, that match each other. So if you have that mentality from the beginning, I think it's a more clear path and easier route versus just a random product that one tool recommended and you don't even know 
where to go from there. The other part is when you trust your feeling, you probably have some, I don't want to say attachment, but you have a likeness for that product versus I don't recommend anyone to sell things that they don't care about, they don't understand, and they think they're ugly because you're going to hate the process. You got to enjoy it. Part of this is just enjoying it with the good and the bad, the ups and downs, but just do something that you're passionate about because it's going to require effort. It's going to require some time, energy. And so unless you love what you're doing, this is super challenging.